Let's go ahead and keep praising God. Let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, I'm just going to kind of open the floor, and you guys are going to preach this morning. Uh, <laughs> it will certainly be shorter than if I preach, you can be sure of that. Um, what are some of the things, just as a church family, that we are thankful for? What are some of the blessings that are happening in your life? Could be something as general as God is always with me or something as specific as, hey, I just got a promotion at work this week. But I just wonder if a few of you would share just, uh, you don't need to give a speech. Yeah, Randy? Yep, it's good. (laughs) Not Dave, not Dave, but Marge, we're thankful. It's good to see. Yeah, praise God. Somebody else. What else are you praising God for? Yes. Yeah, new baby in the belly, right? Good, praise God. Yes, sir. I had a, I spent five days in the hospital, but all that time, I was enjoying the Lord. The Lord's so good. He can overcome anything we're going through. Amen. That's awesome. Okay, this is going well. What else we got? Yes, Steve. Ah, isn't that cool? It corrected itself. <laughs> yeah, funny how that works, huh? Anybody else? Yes. I was baptized yesterday. Hey! <laughs> Praise God. This is going good. Anybody else got something? Yes. Yeah. The change of coming from one church where she had developed some family and friends there to coming to a new church. And I just got, I just had a talk to me and tell me how much she has changed from when she first started. She was super quiet and didn't want to, sometimes upset and not wanting to socialize to now she comes in and she's talking and she's being part of the group. And that was just an answer to prayers because you don't know what's happening when she's there, you know? Like, yeah. So it was just a, it was just a joy to hear that how much she's changed. Amen. So many blessings. So we tend to think when that question is asked, hey, what are you thankful for? What are you praising God for? What is the blessing that's been happening in your life? Um, We tend to think of things that make our lives easier, better, more fun, all of that kind of stuff. This mic feels really hot to me, Nick. I don't know if you can bring me down a little bit because it's ringing up here. Uh, Anyways, we tend to think of things that make our life easier. That's much better. The prevalent line of thinking in our society goes something like this. Be a good person, uh, work hard, maybe get lucky once in a while, create your own breaks, and, and if you do that long enough, you can live a happy life and retire at a reasonable age and play golf all the time, which will return you back to misery, but that's okay. <laughs> but that's kind of the way we think about, we go, what are your blessings? Those are the things that we think of, but there is a different kind of blessing 
that doesn't pop into our heads right away when somebody says, hey, count your blessings. What are you thankful for? What are you praising God for? Um, Let me give you some examples. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you're going to find this guy named Joseph, right? What a blessed life. This guy is the favorite son of a very rich and very powerful man. He has everything he wants and then some. He has dreams of a spectacular future for his life. Everything is good for him until one day his brothers decide they hate him enough that they're going to throw him into a pit. Now, it's okay. He doesn't stay in the pit very long because they take him out to sell him as a slave. And they sell him to these traders who are passing through, who take him to Egypt. In the next years of his life, he serves as a slave. And he does pretty well at that until he gets framed for something he didn't do, gets thrown into a dungeon where he is undoubtedly going to spend the rest of his life in a dank, dark, dreary place until, thankfully, at some point, he eventually dies. Blessings are pretty hard to find in the second half of that story. Or go to the book of Exodus. We find this guy, Moses, talk about a blessed beginning to a life. Well, the very beginning wasn't so hot. He's abandoned as a baby, right? But what happens is by God's providence, he is adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh in Egypt, and he becomes the grandson of the most popular person, the most popular, the most powerful person on the planet. And he gets the best education that money can buy. He gets all of the benefits of growing up in the palace. He is a person of great wealth. He's a person of great influence. He has an incredibly bright future until one day it all turns on a dime when he loses his temper and kills somebody and has to flee for his life. And he spends the next 40 years on the backside of the desert. Everything that was so promising gets flushed down the toilet. And for the next 40 years, he wanders around the desert chasing after sheep. Hard to see the blessings in that part of that story. Or you keep going and you find the story of Elijah and you realize that Elijah is incredibly blessed in that he is called by God to be a prophet. Uh, He lives a life that is miraculous by anybody's account. And uh, he has victory after victory. He has tremendous influence and he's used to actually change the whole nation where he lives. Uh, But he upsets the king and queen. They put a price on his head. And now that there's a price on his head, he flees to the wilderness where he has to scrounge for food and try to find a place to sleep and live and somehow support himself. And he ends up just depressed to the point where he says, I just want to die. And that's where we find him. Where are the blessings in that turn of events? And then into the New Testament, there's Paul. Raised with every possible privilege in the nation of Israel. He comes from the right family, in the right tribe. He has the best of all possible educations. Uh, His religious standing is perfect. His career path is just nothing but sunshine in front of him. He's doing incredibly well as a young man. And then God calls him to be an apostle. Do you know how few people are called to be apostles? Unbelievable blessings just poured out in this guy's life. 
And even with all of those blessings, even with all that experience where God allowed him even to see into heaven, he tells a story of how God allows him to get a glimpse of actual heaven. And he says, honestly, I don't even know if I was there or if it was just a vision. All I know is God showed me heaven. And when he tries to describe it, he goes, never mind, there's no words to describe it. What an incredible blessing. What a list of blessings. But those are not the things that Paul considers his blessings. We're, to, we're continuing our discussion now on wisdom. What does it look like to actually walk in God's wisdom? And we're considering these biblical principles that become building blocks to the foundation of wisdom in our lives. And, and today, we're gonna grapple with one that runs very contrary to our natural way of thinking. We're going to ask God to give us eyes to see and a heart to understand that there are some blessings that can only be found in suffering. <laughs> there are some blessings that can only be found in suffering. Now, before you decide to stand up and leave and get to the restaurants early, let me just tell you this. I think many of us are going to be incredibly encouraged by a message from God's word about the blessing of our suffering. So hang in there with me. We're going to pick up Paul's story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So grab your Bibles, open to the book of 2 Corinthians. It's kind of um, two-thirds of the way through your New Testament, and it is conveniently located right after 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul is writing here, and join me in verse 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's picking up the story right after God gave him this vision of heaven, right? So the, the most spectacular moment of his life to this point, he has had a glimpse of heaven taken to heaven by God, and then he says this, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, let's think about this carefully for a second, and, and, and let's see if we can't find another building block to this foundation of wisdom. And before we jump into the passage, let me just remind you, the whole idea behind this series on wisdom is not that every Sunday that you come, you will get something and go, man, this is the specific thing that's going on in my life, now I know how to do it. 
but instead that you will lay a foundation of wisdom whereby you can make good decisions with whatever comes your way. I was talking about this just before the service with somebody about just the difficulty of our society today where so, you know, it's like, who do you believe? And everybody's got a strong opinion and people are so divided and, and you know, even within your own family, you can't agree on anything and everybody's mad at everybody and everybody sees each other as enemies. And what do you do about that? And I said, I think one of the things we do about that is we build a foundation of biblical wisdom in our lives. That combined with humility actually gets us through that. Because as time goes on, the situations change, situation to situation to situation. But if God has built within us a foundation of wisdom that we can rely on and call upon and then apply in our lives in any situation that comes up. So that's the idea here. Now, let's think carefully about what Paul just told us in 2 Corinthians. The first thing I want you to notice is that the situation that Paul finds himself in is absolutely no fun. So let's not kid ourselves. Let's not just think, well, you know, this is no big deal. Paul, you know, has all these blessings. He seems to be doing fine. Paul does not pretend that any of this is easy. He doesn't pretend that any of this is enjoyable. He describes what he calls a thorn in the flesh. And boy, have people wondered what that thorn is. For 2,000 years since he wrote this, people have been going, I think it was probably this, or maybe it was that, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. We don't know what it was. I mean, it could be that it was a literal thorn in his literal flesh. People, he walked literally thousands of miles in his life on unpaved roads wearing sandals. It is entirely possible that somewhere in that process, he walked on a thorn that pierced his foot and embedded itself into his foot and caused him incredible pain in that sense. It could literally be that. Another, other people say, well, I think, you know, it was probably a physical ailment, but chances are it wasn't a literal thorn. It was probably his eyesight because the scripture refers to the fact that his eyesight was failing him. And you say, well, Paul, I don't know what kind of insurance you have, but maybe you just go to the optometrist, get a set of glasses, you'll be fine. This is the first century. Paul his eyesight is failing him, and in his later letters, he even refers to the fact, I'm writing with huge letters, right? You know this is me because you see the giant letters I have to write with. And people say, well, maybe it was the failing eyesight that was his thorn in the flesh. I don't know. It occurs to me that it could be just a buildup of all of the times that he was beaten, all of the times he was whipped, all of the times he was stoned. It's hard for us to relate to this. I don't know how many of you have been whipped or beaten or stoned in the sense that he was stoned. <laughs> this, is, this is not a clear conscience moment. We'll just keep going. Um, but I would imagine that adds up. And I would imagine that his body was broken. I, I was laughing with somebody the other day saying, I have reached the age where every time I sit down, I go, Ugh. and every time I get up, I go, Ugh. what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Dave, why didn't you tell me this was coming? I should have known. You would have quit. I know. I was like, what is that all about? I don't know what Paul was dealing with in terms of this thorn in his flesh. Some people say it probably wasn't even physical, might have been emotional. I don't know if you saw a movie came out two or three years ago, uh, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Uh, it was uh, called something like Paul, an apostle of God or something along those lines. And in there, the, the, the movie writer took the opinion that probably Paul's great torment was the emotional weight that he felt from having persecuted and killed Christians before he came to the Lord. Maybe. I don't know what was going on in Paul that he called it a thorn in the flesh, but I do know this. It was tremendously painful to the point where he begs God, entreats God, cries out to God time and time and time again to say, please, please take this away from me. A man who has watched God miraculously heal at his own word, a man who has actually watched God raise the dead, and all he's got is whatever this thorn is, and he's crying out to God, won't you please just take it away and God doesn't do it. He implored God to take it away. That's the first thing I want you to notice. What he's going through was no fun. Second thing we should notice is that Paul's ailment was a satanic attack. It literally says that... Uh, Look at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This is a satanic attack. This is spiritual warfare. This is Satan somehow having the idea that maybe I can stop what God is doing through this great man of God if I can just distract him with this incredibly painful situation in his life. And so he's under attack. Apparently, Satan thought this is the way to slow him down. And by the way, just as a little side note, when we start serving the Lord, or, or maybe when we start addressing issues in our lives that God wants us to address that we haven't addressed yet, and, and start lining ourselves up with God's will, and start getting used in the things that matter most to God, we can expect to be attacked. And I know that's not popular preaching. I know that's not what you read in self-help books, but every one of us knows whether we learned it from the scripture or whether we learned it from the good old-fashioned school of hard knocks, we know that as we turn our hearts toward God and begin to walk in obedience to God, that is often met with resistance at the spiritual level. So he's literally being attacked. But let me just tell you something about Satan. Satan can throw all kinds of stuff at us, but he cannot thwart the power of the living God. That's a fact. And so when you find yourself under spiritual attack, that may just be a good indicator, maybe, that you're on the right track. Maybe that's a time for you to not lose heart. Now, granted, you may have to adjust your plans. 
You may have to change your tactics. You may have to endure some hardships. But if you're walking in obedience to God, you need to hang in there and refuse to abandon God's calling in your life. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul is speaking from experience when he writes these words. Do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Why even write those words if it's not common for those of us who are doing good to grow weary because we come under attack? Guys, uh, there's so much preaching today that would give us the idea that if I just pray the right prayer or believe with enough faith or say the right words, then my life is just going to be easy and it's going to be a piece of cake. And when you believe that, you have to abandon 90% of the Bible, Because it says over and over and over again, in this life, there will be trouble. And yet Jesus says, but I'm praying for you. And by the way, I want you to notice another thing. Even though this was a satanic attack, God allowed it to happen. Just let that ring in your heart for a second. Satan attacked Paul, the great man of God, and God stood back and allowed it to happen. You know that God is sovereign in all things, right? That means there is no circumstance that can come into your life that God doesn't either cause or actively allow. Do not think that because God sometimes allows Satan to attack you, do not think that means that somehow God's on vacation, God has forgotten about you, God's taken a nap, God's not powerful enough to do anything about it. None of that is true. God is sovereign in all things. That means there's no circumstance that he doesn't either cause or allow. God allowed Joseph's brothers to sell him as a slave. And the result was that the nation of Israel was preserved. Because from that prison cell, he was exalted to the seat of government. And he saved the nation of Israel through whom came the promised Messiah. God sent Joseph to Egypt. God allowed the queen to put a bounty on Elijah's head. And that was the beginning of the next great chapter of greatness in Elijah's life because he spoke to God directly, was encouraged and given a new vision for what his life could be all about. God allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be chucked into the fiery furnace And it was there in the fiery furnace that all of their ropes fell off and they encountered the living Christ who delivered them. God allowed Satan to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. God allowed Judas to sell Satan out, to sell Satan out, to sell Jesus out in response to Satan's temptation for 30 pieces of silver. And the Roman soldiers were allowed by God to nail him to a cross. 
And that turned out to be the greatest day of victory the world has ever seen. Just because God allows us to suffer does not mean that he has forgotten us. In every one of those examples, God used what Satan meant for evil and turned it completely around and used it for good, just as God promises in Romans 8, 28, that he will do in every time in the life of those who love him. So this ridiculous idea that is so popular among so many Christians that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy at all times is in itself a satanic attack. Sometimes God allows Satan to attack us And as we turn to God, he makes something beautiful out of the scars that are left. No doubt, some of you listening to this are suffering with physical ailments that just don't heal. Some of you you are dealing with chronic pain Some of you are dealing with um, genetic um, mutations and problems that cause all kinds of issues in your body. Some of you are still never completely healed from broken bones or injuries that came from an accident or something along those lines. And on one level, that breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart to see people I care about suffering. But in another sense, it fills me with hope. Because I know that God is at work in you in the midst of these struggles and that he chooses not to take them away. I know that's hard to grapple with, guys. I'm not making light of anybody's pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, pain from the past, wherever your pain is coming from. I am not minimizing that pain at all. Paul didn't minimize it in his own life. He said, man, this thorn is terrible. I want it gone. He cried out to God. There's nothing wrong with asking God to take your pain away. I just want us to understand that sometimes God allows pain in our lives and doesn't always take it away. And it doesn't mean he can't. And it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And it doesn't mean he lacks interest. It means that he is doing something with that pain that is bigger than the pain itself. And there's another big lesson that we could take from Paul's suffering. And that is that God wants us to be utterly dependent on his strength and not our own. There's this other lesson that God wants us to learn, and that is that he wants us totally dependent on his strength and not our own. See, God wants us totally dependent on his strength and not our own. Man, that was the weakest amens I've ever heard. That, that's the amen of a person who's like, okay, I admit it's like that, but I don't have to like it. That's what that means. Amen. Hey, amen. Amen. Now we got some boisterous amens. Turn, turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms real quick. Just go back to the middle of your Bible and find Psalms. Go to Psalm chapter 20. And I want you to see in Psalm 20 what he says about this. Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7. Uh, look at this. 
Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. He's speaking militarily there. If we were saying this today, we might say, some boast in missiles and some in bombs, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Some boast in power, some boast in strength. Some put their trust in human strength, but I am gonna put my trust in the name of the Lord my God. He tells us that the thing that we're to boast in is not our strength, whether that's financial strength, intellectual strength, military strength, whatever kind of strength we think we have. He goes, stop boasting in that. If you have something you wanna boast in, boast in the name of the Lord your God, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is the one who speaks and the whole universe bursts into existence, who is the one who can overcome any obstacle and accomplish any goal. We will boast in the name of the Lord our God. It's his strength, not my strength. And guys, I know how hard that is to grapple with. We have all sat next to a hospital bed of a loved one and we would do anything to bring healing. We have all struggled perhaps with uh, habits or addictions or sin patterns in our own lives that we just long to be free of and we still stumble into those same holes. We have all been in relationships that somehow got twisted, somehow got off track and somehow lost sight of the love that we were supposed to have for one another. We have all walked on these roads. All of our details are different, but we all got some stuff that's an amen moment too, <laughs> right? And, and, and God says, you don't have the power to fix it. He does. So we will not boast in horses. We will not boast in chariots, nor will we boast in our own wisdom. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. If you're trusting in your strength, your resources, your power, your wisdom, your plan, your strategy, then you've placed your trust not in God, but in yourself. And there are self-help books all over Amazon that would tell you that's a good way to go. But the Bible says it's idolatry. When I place my trust in myself that should be placed in God, I am now worshiping myself. It's idolatry. Paul was brilliant. He was influential. He was famous. He was endowed with the Holy Spirit. He had great knowledge and wisdom, marvelous, miraculous power. He had tremendous success as a missionary. He had tremendous success as a church planter. And now God had given him the honor of showing him heaven as a way to strengthen his faith. So God loved Paul enough under all those circumstances to allow suffering in his life, and Paul tells us why, in order to keep me from exalting myself. That's why he does it. You know that exalting yourself always leads to disaster, right? Do we know that? Amen. Think about this. It was exalting himself that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. It was exalting themselves that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. 
It, look at, you know one of my favorite pictures of this? I, let's take a second. Go to Acts chapter 12. I want you to see this because you're going to go, no, he's making that up. I'm not making it up. Look at this. Acts chapter 12. Yeah, this one's not in the children's Sunday school curriculum. It's Acts chapter 12 and verse 21. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 20 and, and look through verse 23. It's, it's talking about King Herod. And here's what it says. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a god and not a man. I love this verse. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Do you love this story, boys and girls? You love this story? <laughs> People start treating him as a God and he's like, yeah, chants, louder, louder, I like this. And God goes, squashes him like a bug. I, I don't know, I, I've read up, I try to understand this, I don't know whether he literally fell down and worms just ate him, <laughs> or whether, like many people in those days, he was dealing with intestinal worms that ate him from the inside out. Either way, I don't recommend it as a way to die. <laughs> See... <laughs> the scripture teaches us again and again, exalt yourself and God will squash you. Humble yourself and the Lord will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Rule number one of biblical wisdom, he's God and you're not. Just remember it. God loved Paul enough to remind him of how dependent he was on the power and the strength and the kindness and the grace of God. And that brings us to the summary statement of the passage where God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Boy, do we ever need to be reminded of this. Because we're getting messages all the time. We've been getting them since we were children that say, you know, um, money is sufficient for me. Uh, power is sufficient for me. Good health. All I'm asking for, Lord, is good health. Just healing. That would be sufficient for me. I just need some good friends. If I just have a community of people to help me, that will be sufficient for me. If I have enough talent, if I have enough ambition, if I have enough opportunity, that will be sufficient for me. If I just have enough good works and religious devotion, that will be sufficient for me. But God allows us to endure life's thorns because we need to understand that there is nothing Nothing, nothing, how many things? Nothing. nothing we need more than God's amazing grace. Amen. Nothing. And that is something to boast about, Paul says. I am weak, but he is strong. And it's my weakness that his strength can easily be shown in. 
We're all well aware, hopefully, some of us more aware of, than others. We're all well aware of our many weaknesses. And if you're not that aware of your weaknesses, you probably need to get married and then somebody will help you know what your weaknesses are, right? <laughs> people who are not aware of their weaknesses are called single people. Okay, so if you're, if the, fa <laughs> the fact is we are well aware. We try to hide it. We put on a happy face. We know what our weaknesses are. We got lots of them, right? I am weak, but he is strong. The wisest of us realize that those weaknesses, those weaknesses become the platform for God to display his great strength. And guys, let's dial it back to the most foundational truth. Why do we exist? To glorify God. So if my weaknesses create an opportunity for his glory, I'll boast about that. You know, Gideon said, I can never win with such a small army. God said, watch this. Joshua said, you know what? I can never fill Moses' shoes. And God said, watch this. Elisha said, you know, I'm just a farmer. God said, watch this. Paul said, I don't think I could take another day with this thorn. And God said, watch this. My grace is sufficient for you. I wonder if Paul walked with a limp because of that thorn that God wouldn't take away. Some of us literally walk with a limp because of our physical ailments. Some of us are rolling in a wheelchair because of our physical ailments. And it's easy to look at those things that tend to hold us back and go, this is a curse. But if you cooperate with God, God will turn even that into something that brings him glory. Some of us are walking with a limp, not physically, but emotionally. Some of us are walking with a limp because of compromised mental health. Or, or, or we're walking with a limp because of the grief of someone that we love that is not here with us and it weighs upon us. I don't know what your thorn in the flesh may be today, but I know this. God's grace is sufficient for you. He doesn't ask us to pretend the pain isn't real, guys. He just asks us to turn to him and let him be enough for us. And even if he never takes the pain away, he wants us to remember that he will also never take his love and grace away either. Let's just go back and we'll wrap it up with this. Go to Romans 8 with me. Pastor Doug's favorite passage. Go to Romans chapter 8 and let's look at the end of Romans 8 together. Starting in verse 35. This is the same Paul, the guy with the thorn in his flesh that God wouldn't take away. Here's what he says. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He may not take away the struggle, but I promise you, he will never take away his love. He will never take away his grace. And even though it's hard for us to see sometimes, those of us who walk in wisdom walk with the knowledge that his grace is enough. It's enough. And when we learn to see his grace and value it even more than we despise the suffering, then we'll be on the road to living a life of genuine biblical wisdom. It's a life-changing truth. May the Lord use it to change our lives. Let's stand together. God, we we have been um, sharing this morning uh, songs of praise to you, talking about you're all we need. We don't need anything else. You don't owe us anything. And, And yet the truth is that many of us are walking around with a limp. We're struggling with very painful situations. We're we're dealing sometimes with things that we've been dealing with for months or years or decades and you haven't taken them away and we feel attacked, God. We feel weakened. We feel overwhelmed. Won't you please, God, show yourself strong in the midst of our weakness? Father, I pray for each person who is struggling now. Father, wherever it would bring you the most glory, please bring healing. Wherever it would bring your name, praise, please, please take away the pain. But if for your perfect plan, our suffering creates a platform for your power, we pray that you would show yourself strong even in our suffering. For when we are weak, you are strong. We give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.